You're listening to the On Air Podcast on the web at www.onairpodcast.co.uk Providing material for use by hospital radio stations across the UK So here we are with a special On Air Podcast On Air Podcast number 18B Or 18A, should I say uh, for the weekend of the uh, 16th and 17th of December. Uh, a very small podcast in terms of me yabbering on. Um, you'll, you'll have to excuse me, I've got my tea here and uh, the tea bag's in it. Um, so a very short podcast in terms of me yabbering on, but it is quite a long one because it contains the audio from the HBA AGM. So it might not be for you if you were at the AGM and you've already listened and uh, stuff like that, you might not want to hear it again. But for those who weren't there, here is my recording from the AGM held in Norwich at the end of October. I think it was the end of October, yes. So uh, I'll play that one for you. And, and that'll be it for the podcast um, for today. I'll just play the outro right at the end. Um, and lining up to do a special Christmas podcast over the weekend of the 22nd, 23rd, um, or 23rd, 24th, something like that. So do look out for that in your feed as your little Christmas present. And uh, so that's it for now. Um, you can subscribe to the On Air Podcast Enhanced now by going to the iTunes store and doing a search for Matt Wade or On Air Podcast, and uh, you'll get the choice of either the normal one, the MP3 version, or if you have an iPod, you might fancy the Enhanced AAC M4A thingamajib version. The choice is yours. Cheers for now. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome along to the 2006 Annual General Meeting of the Hospital Broadcasting Association. Um, the first thing I should do, uh, and those of you that were here last year and didn't that go on, um, the first thing I should do is perhaps a little like Angela, paraphrase the words of the BBC and say, 23, it's a magic number. Um, and I want to see yellow cards to make sure that we're correct. And 23 is the thing I think will be well above. So if I can ask those that have yellow cards to lift them up. And I'm past 23, so that's fine. Thank you very much. Long past 23. Long past 23, yeah. Very good. <laughs> right. If I can then firstly move on to apologies. I have apologies from uh, Hospital Radio Rossendale. Does anyone else have apologies from other stations? In that case, uh, I'll add to that. Normally, it would just be member stations that we would put in as apologies. I'm, I'm adding to that the apologies of Nigel Dallard, who sadly can't be here today. Uh, his mother's gravely ill, and obviously you'll appreciate it. It's far more important to be there than here. Um, so he's there at the moment, and uh, we hope everything goes well. Um, to move on, then, to the business of the meeting... And the first uh, part of the business is to adopt the minutes of the AGM held on the 15th of October 2005 as a true and accurate record of the meeting, which took place, as you'll remember, in uh, Portsmouth. Does anyone have any comments on the content of these minutes? In that case, uh, I can ask for a proposal that they be adopted. Emma. And a seconder. Oh, Dave. In that case, can I show for, ask for a show of cards that these minutes be adopted as a true and accurate record? Thank you. I'm going for a world record here. The uh, 
second item of business then is to receive the trustees annual report and accounts for the year ended 28th of February 2006 which has been circulated to our member stations does anyone have any comments on the annual report and accounts in that case then can I ask for uh, a proposal that they, they be received as a, a document <coughs> And we have a seconder. In that case, I'm asking again for a show cards for those that wish the document to be received. Thank you. The third item of business then is to elect the trustees of the organisation. As you can see from the agenda, a single nomination has been received for each of the following positions. And I'm going to ask the meeting to approve the appointments of June Snowden as President, of Dave Nicholson as Vice President, of Paul Sizem as Chief Executive, and of Phil Moon as Deputy Chief Executive. Uh, no nominations were received by the closing date for the positions of Treasurer, Regional Manager, and Public Relations Manager. Uh, it would fall then to the, the Executive Committee to appoint people to these positions as they see fit. Unless there are any objections, I propose to... Uh, have June Snowden, Dave Nicholson, Paul Sizem and Phil Moon uh, elected to the posts. Um, does anyone have any objections to them being hereby elected on the nod? In that case I declare them so elected. As I say, the, uh, the remaining posts are posts that uh, will be uh, appointed or can be appointed by the executive committee in their wisdom and um, what I, I think I should say before uh, we go much further is thanks to those standing down uh, at this election firstly to John Harper and uh, I did this to an extent um, at the last AGM but John's held on uh, until this AGM John Harper I think truly has uh, revolutionized the way in which the organization has not only held, prepared and presented its accounts uh, and those of us that were at Liverpool and at Erskine and can remember the shenanigans of trying to es establish uh, what was going on with the organization's money will know exactly what I mean. And I think he's made an absolutely tremendous job of it and our thanks should go to him. And uh, a little like that, Mike Skinner uh, is holding on as well, and that Mike is continuing his, his job, I think, until such times as someone's found to replace him. But Mike Skinner, again, has brought a new angle to publicity for the organization, and particularly at times of uh, the, the uh, awards. Uh, the amount of publicity that he's brought to the organization has been fantastic. He's done a huge amount of work, and I'm sure a lot of you saw him in the, uh, in the trade show earlier today. And the size of the trade show today is a testament to the amount of work that he's been in doing and presenting, presenting us as credible people and getting folk to come along and, and show us their stuff. He's done a great job, so thanks go too to Mike Skinner. And... Uh, the third one that I'd, I'd almost say thank you to, but he's just not going away, of course, is Paul Sizem. He's standing down as regional rep, but we're not getting rid of him that easily. June, June wants to say something. 
there's one person we mustn't forget in all of this, and that's our, chief, our retiring chief executive, who again, much like our treasurer, has pulled this organisation together, and we owe a great debt to John Watson. Please show your appreciation. Thank you. Thanks, June, and, and thanks to you too. It's been, it's been a pleasure. It truly has. Um, I think we've probably broken the world record. Uh, we seem to be at the bottom of my little list here. Uh, are, are we declaring the meeting closed? Yep, right. Not bad. <laughs> I told you it wouldn't take long. In that case, what we'll do, uh, without any further ado, is we'll move straight on to the informal meeting. There was a day when you got a cup of coffee in between. Yeah, but they never bloody came back. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had time to boil the kettle this time. We'll move straight into the informal meeting then. Um, whilst in the, the AGM it's only station's official voice that's allowed to speak, um, I would encourage anyone who feels they have something to say to, to do so. Uh, this meeting, it's uh, an open forum almost, and uh, we've got a number of things that we will be discussing. But uh, firstly, um, I propose to accept the apologies as taken for uh, the AGM for this meeting also, and to add to them uh, former President Alan Grunadal, uh who unfortunately can't be with us today. Does anyone have any further apologies for this meeting? Thank you. If we can then move to... Uh, the adoption of the minutes, the draft minutes of the informal meeting held on Saturday the 1st of April 2006 at the Hilton Hotel at Blackpool uh, were circulated uh, in your packs, I think, um, when you arrived today. Has anyone got any... I, I know a few of the, the issues are to be discussed uh, later on in this meeting, but uh, does anyone have any comments on their veracity, shall we say. Can I ask them for someone to propose their adoption as a true and accurate record of the meeting? Dave McGilly. And a seconder. In that case, if I can ask for a show of hands, uh, and this can be anyone, uh, to adopt these as a true and accurate record of the meeting. Thank you. There, are, uh, there were a number of items uh, arising from these minutes. Uh, the first was young persons as volunteers, that the Policies and Guidelines Subcommittee would issue guidance when available. Um, I'll uh, deal with that a little later in this meeting and see where we are with that then. Um, the second action was Dave McGilley to write an article for on air. Pending. <laughs> and the third action was with regard to long service awards for hospital broadcasting organisations. June was developed the idea, but it's, it's really been overtaken by events. It's, it's actuality now. Yep. yep. So that's something that will uh, happen this weekend. Okay, then we move to the annual review. If you give me half a second, I'll juggle all these bits and pieces of paper. This is the moment, really, where the, the Chief Executive traditionally gets up and rabbits on about what the future holds for the HBA and, and what we hope to achieve. 
And normally there's a PowerPoint presentation where we examine how things are going to develop. Well, I'm not going to do that this time. Um, I'm not even going to use the PowerPoint, to be frank. This is the fifth general meeting that, that I've chaired, and some may breathe a sigh of relief that it's also to be the last, uh, but I know certainly my wife will breathe a sigh of relief that it's going to be the last. I stood for election as Deputy Chief Executive in 2003 for a number of reasons. I was annoyed that the PPL were trying to extract payments for stations that I had no doubt were going to end up closing some of these very stations. And as well as that, I was concerned that the insurance scheme that was operated by HBA Enterprises seemed to be run in a rather cavalier manner. On top of that, I was furious. And I was furious that HBA Enterprises appeared to have been hijacked by individuals. Although the company had obviously been set up to be a component part of HBA, it hadn't worked that way in practice. Individuals now owned HBA Enterprises, individuals who'd been the most senior members of the HBAC and who now were being less than helpful. Huge sums of money were due to the organisation and there was no ind indication of when or if payment was going to be made. Again, looking from outside the HBAC, it often seemed to me a bit like a closed shop. It seemed often that the whole point of the committee was to organise being a committee. And perhaps it still looks that way to some of you. I certainly hope it doesn't, and I'd like to ask you to indulge me for a moment or two while we look back at how things have changed over the last few years. The organisation itself has grown substantially. While membership numbers drop as, as hospitals close or merge or centralise, the organisation itself has taken on a wider and wider remit. These days it's really unlikely that if new legislation was passed or events were taking place that would seriously affect hospital radio broadcasting, it's highly unlikely that HBA wouldn't have been there at the beginning making representation and trying to influence policy. It's been interesting to see how seriously we've been taken by, in the debates surrounding the changes to charity law, how seriously we've been taken by the Gower's review on intellectual property and by Ofcom's review on radio-restricted service licences, even to the point where our views have been mentioned in Parliament on one occasion. It's all part of a more professional and more involved hospital broadcasting association. We've earned a reputation for reasoned arguments in a reasonable way. And it's my belief that it was our honesty and our openness that led to the eventual much-improved deal offered by PPL, and I'm sure Dave would agree with that. Again, it was our honesty and our clarity that led to the rethink by Patient Line when they decided to change channel numbers with no advance notice. Indeed, PPL and Patient Line are only two of numerous organisations that we, we seek to meet and to consult with on a regular basis, from patient entertainment providers to IRN, from the Radio Academy to Ofcom, we're putting forward the hospital broadcasting perspective at every possible opportunity. And such relationships make it much easier to deal with things when the need arises. Of course, we can now move at speed once a problem is identified. In particular, the advent of HBA Announce has meant that we can draw together a campaign very, very quickly indeed, much faster than before. It's not always been easy to cope with, though. Let me give you a couple of examples. In a 12-hour period on the 16th of September 2003, I personally received no less than 82 emails about PPL from you guys. That took a bit of answering, but it paled into insignificance nine months later when on the 6th of May 2004 I received 191 emails in one day 
after HBA Enterprises pulled out of insurance. But the very fact that you can come to me or to any of the members of the EC so quickly means that we could act in an informed manner very, very quickly indeed. And in the insurance situation, we were able to find an alternative affordable insurance scheme for members within 24 hours. Looking at the wider aspect, the HB Enterprises situation might not be completely resolved. The company, although virtually dormant, still exists. It's still owned by the same individuals who shows can't respect for the HBA or for you, its members. And indeed, it's still managing every year not to file its returns in time. However, we have recovered huge sums of money, and there may be a little more to come, although I don't suspect too much. It's unfortunate that we have been required to employ a solicitor to recover these sums. That's inevitably been costly. However, what we have discovered is that in employing solicitors in, in that manner, we've begun to employ them a little more often on other occasions. This has developed into something that the HBA can do for the benefit of all our members. Legal advice on copyright, contracts with magazine publishers, and the use of young volunteers has led to definitive advice that we can give to you that's financed centrally by the HBA, but is of use to you guys at your stations back home. Solicitors themselves are not the only professionals that we've taken advantage of. The grant from the Charities Aid Foundation will fund the vast majority of a health check for the HBA and development of a strategic plan for the organisation. A consultant has been identified and appointed, and their work should ensure that we continue to adopt best practice at every opportunity. In an effort to promote best practice, the organisation continues to produce model policies, guidelines and procedures for use by member stations. There just seems little point in everyone having to constantly reinvent the wheel. And all this is on top of all the usual benefits of being a member, the ones that we usually trot out, the conferences, the awards, the long service certificates, now for stations as well as for individual volunteers, on air, etc., etc., etc. I believe that in the last few years the organisation has become more open. The accounts are now clear, thankfully. Minutes are published regularly. And I believe that members feel that if they want to know something, long last all they have to do is ask. The days of deep secrecy are long gone, and so they should be. These days individual post holders have been given more responsibility and more freedom to go on with their jobs. If anything, the way going of the all-powerful chief executive has meant that these same post holders have picked up the baton and many have carried it for an extra mile and sometimes several miles. Let's look at some of the tasks that they get up to, way beyond perhaps what's in their job description. June, for instance, keeps up an amazing schedule of station visits while organising long service awards and liaising with patient entertainment system providers. <coughs> Excuse me. Dave, Dave Nicholson, has brought us some of the best award ceremonies we've ever had, while simultaneously raising much of the cash to finance that himself through his own efforts. It's his influence and his persuasion that resolved the PPL situation. Phil Moon is the man responsible for the event subcommittee, which runs conference and to a great extent this weekend has been his work. He's responsible for the Charities Aid Foundation consultancy and will eventually produce the framework for the future of the organisation and what it offers its members. Mike Skinner's taken the role of publicity manager to another level. He's constantly looking for ways to publicise hospital broadcasting, and particularly at award time, he meets with great success. John Harper has probably single-handedly rescued the organisation from fiscal disaster. He's taken the nightmare that was the organisation's accounts and made them both transparent and understandable. 
Indeed, the organisations now reach the stage where the finances are so complex that we must look at having them managed professionally. Paul Sizem has revitalised an already strong regional base, finding new reps for inactive regions and taking time to visit AGMs and get out and about. I'm sure he's going to make an absolutely excellent chief executive. I'm delighted that was, my own station was one of those that proposed him. Nigel Dallard defies description. <laughs> if you look up the dictionary, and if you search out the explanation of what a company and a charity secretary should be, then Nigel does what it says in the tin. Corners don't get cut. Requirements are never ignored, and documents are always thoroughly examined. Often, I have to say, toward complete exasperation. <laughs> That's only a small part of it, but in short, Nigel ensures that the organisation always does the right thing, both legally and constitutionally, and to be honest, the turning round of a of the organisation is to a great extent down to his work. Let's not forget those two who are not trustees but do just as much work. Maria's executive administrator seems to work a 16-hour day, every day. Michelle must be the same in producing the far the most professional version of on-air that we've ever had. Jeff has been answering technical questions for an eternity and still manages to do it with a smile. It's been a delight to see Paul Easton come back to the HBA. Someone of his experience and his status in the broadcasting industry can only do us good. And lastly, our website is about to be relaunched with a new look. Mark's spending a great deal of time ensuring that it will all go right from day one. So, as I leave from this position and Paul takes it on, it's my belief that the HBA is stronger and more professional now than it's ever been. We've come a long way from those dark, dark days that led to the motions placed before the members at Aberdeen at the first AGM of the millennium. It's easy to criticise when things go wrong, but let's take a moment to thank those responsible when things are turned around. A few are elsewhere in the room, but the vast majority sit on either side of me here today, so thanks to these guys. And can I just say finally, it's been a pleasure to be your Chief Executive, and it's a delight to hand over the reins to someone else. So good luck, best wishes to Paul and his team in the years to come. Thanks for your support, so long, and thanks for all the fish. Now I have to find the minutes again, or the agenda again, after all that. There we go. <laughs> the uh, next thing on the agenda was the Charities Aid Foundation Consultancy, the health check and development of the strategic plan. Uh, well, there he is. I will hand it over to Phil and he can tell us a bit about that. Um, it's uh, very much work in progress. In fact, start of work in progress. Um, I have to say that Charity Aid, Charities Aid Foundation uh, apart from supplying us with most of the money, hasn't actually been uh, very dynamic. They could do with, I think, a health check themselves. But, however, uh, we do now have an appointed uh, consultant, and uh, very shortly Amanda Carpenter, who is that consultant, and I will be getting together, and then after that she'll be looking at the whole structure of the HBA uh, and looking at the future and how we're organised so that we can uh, really... Uh, be in a, in a fit state. So there isn't much more I can say at this stage, but obviously if there's any questions, I'd be happy to try and answer them.
Does anyone have any questions for Phil regarding that? As he says, it's obviously something that's that's developing and will do over the next, indeed probably over the next couple of years. Um, the next item on the, the agenda then is uh, training events, hospital radio programming and charity administration. Uh, an interactive discussion, that means someone else speaks. And I think we'll start with uh, with Paul Polliston if you'd like to put forward his ideas. Thank you very much. Uh, this was actually going to be a double act with Nigel, but um, as you know, he's able to be here for um, family reasons, so I'm going to hold the fort myself. Um, the idea behind the training initiative, we want to start running from next year. At the moment, I have got a blank sheet of paper, because this is your organisation, and I want to know what you want. What do you want to know about? What sort of things would you like training in? Or what sort of areas? Um, a few people have already collared me this weekend to say, oh, you know, presentation skills and production and news and things like that. But I want to open it up to you. So if you just like to come up with ideas, suggestions, I can then take it away and try and put together a program. The other thing I want to know about is it would probably make sense to do these things on a regional basis with the regional reps um, to tie in with either an all-day meeting they can organise or organise something specially and we'll move around the country and I think Nigel wants to talk at the same time about the changes to charity law which are going to affect all HBA members and therefore it may be something that we have one venue one day and a training session and also Nigel does his bit as well so people who are interested in that area can go to that the others who want to know what uh, sort of my own training thing, which will involve others as well, will um, bring forth. So I'd like to open it up now to you, and, and has anybody got any ideas or suggestions to what, what you want to do? Um, on that note, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up for now, but I'm around for the rest of today and tomorrow, so you know, do call me in the bar and, or elsewhere, and um, you know, I'd be happy to, to chat. But as I say, if, you, if you've got any more ideas, I'm going to take your suggestions away, come up with some further thoughts and, and ideas, and we'll start with the regional people to start organising a, a timetable for, for next year and move around the country, and obviously tied in with Nigel as well for his thing. So we do it, we do it all in one hit. And I say my email, programming at hbauk.com, or it's 0870 0870-321-6002. Um, that's my HBA phone number. So um, I'm, at, I'm at the end of an email or the end of the phone, and uh, I'll try and get back to you as quickly as I can. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. Um, the next item in the agenda is the guidance on the involvement of young persons as volunteers, and uh, I'm very aware that when we discussed this six months ago, uh, Mike and I said we've looked at this and it is very, very complicated. So we're off to see the HBA solicitor and placed it in front of him and he sent me back a letter which if I paraphrase it says, I've looked at this, it's really complicated. Um, <laughs> and it is really complicated and quite frankly, um, although his investigation into it isn't complete, the provisional stuff that we're getting from him is that I don't think we're going to get any really hard and fast answers on what age you can employ or what age you can use people as volunteers. There, um, 
it's not a well-discussed topic in the legal field, uh, the status of volunteers uh, when they're young. Um, and there's obviously the impact of the protection of children legislation in England uh, uh, and also in Scotland, uh, which is entirely different legislation. And obligations on you as effectively an employer or someone who's in charge of that child in the event that someone inappropriate comes into contact with them. And obviously on occasions, uh, that inappropriate person might not be within your control. Um, so there are obligations on you almost as a carer for a person who's under the age of 18 or in some cases 16. And again, there are obligations on you if you're, you're putting younger people out into wards to meet people. And there are obligations if you're putting older people out into wards to meet young people. Um, certainly, as I am understanding it at the moment, if you are uh, having ward visitors or ward walkers or whatever you like to call them who are going out and going to the children's ward, then that isn't specifically a, a problem to you that you have to address at the moment as far as I can see unless your hospital is predominantly a children's hospital where the vast majority of people you're meeting and you're talking with are children. Um, the, then it becomes an issue where you're having to look at... Uh, what you're doing with your, your uh, ward visitors and uh, what sort of people you're putting up into the wards. But where, like in most hospitals, the children's ward might just be uh, a proportion of the patients, uh, similar to the proportion in general life, then there doesn't seem to be the same level of obligation on you. Um, what the, uh, the solicitor is saying basically is that there are... Uh, strict, there is strict legislation. They're still looking at it. They've moved it on now from uh, the solicitor that we normally use, Malcolm Rust, to their own employment people who are uh, looking at it and uh, have been doing so for the last few weeks. Uh, and despite me harassing them for the last two weeks, still haven't come back with a, an answer on it. What we're intending to do is, once he's, he's got it all and he's sent me, his preliminary note runs to four pages pretty closely typed, um, once he sent us the full thing, we will make up with him an article for on-air. And if that takes eight pages and on-air, we have to do a special on-air that says word for word what the solicitor has nodded his head at, then we'll do it. Uh, so that everybody's absolutely aware of uh, what uh, should happen. But there's no question that there are complications if you're using uh, you know, volunteers who are under the age of 18. Uh, in relation to your other members. You have obligations to protect that child from your other members who you may not know as much about as you might want to know. Uh, you've got obligations to protect that child from other people they might meet in the hospital who you'll definitely not know as much about as you might want to know. And in the same vein, as I say, if it's a children's hospital that you're dealing with, there are obligations on you uh, to consider what people you're sending up to ward visit in a children's hospital, for instance, or how behaviour, how appropriate their behaviour might be with the children. So it is very complex. There's a long, long document here, which, uh, although it gives us some sort of general advice, I'm not going to go into it in great depth because he hasn't sent it as a final document yet. We're still working on it. I would hope in the next couple of months, uh, if well, certainly not been the next issue of On Air, but I would hope in the following one or the one after that, the very latest, we should be looking at a, a really major document that you can say, well, here we are now, we've got advice at a solicitor saying this is what we should be doing. And it's all very well. I mean, I've got, obviously, professionally, 
Uh, I'm used to reading the law out of big books and a number of others on the ECR as well. I don't think that's appropriate at all for us to be sort of looking at that sort of thing. That's exactly the sort of thing that the HBA should be doing. We should be paying solicitors to uh, get their big books out and give us their advice and uh, then we can turn around and say, well, we've taken advice and this is what they say. Uh, so I'm sorry, I haven't really got a definitive answer for you at the moment, but it is coming. Uh, but there's no question that it is going to be difficult. And uh, I suspect what the, the solicitor is going to suggest is that at the very least you have a different class of membership for those who are under the age of 18. So that they don't become full members of your organisation with the uh, obligations that are on them. Uh, and on you if they are full members. If you have some sort of uh, associate member list that under-18s can be a member of, then uh, perhaps you're in a position to uh, give them different rules from everyone else. So I would imagine uh, from what he's saying that's one of the things that he's going to, going to suggest. The complication is that it's entirely different in Scotland from in England and Wales. I have no doubt that it will be entirely different in Northern Ireland. Um, so it is, it is complex, but uh, we are getting there. Um, but if anyone's got any questions at the moment, I'll do my best to answer them, although uh, it's, as I say, not going to be definitive advice. Well, we've, we've done that to an extent as well at, at Perth, is that we uh, uh, no longer have members under the age of 18. Um, the complication in Perth is, uh, or in Scotland is that whilst uh, the age of 18 is what they consider a child to be, uh, insofar as this legislation goes, um, a child reaches its age of attainment at 16. So effectively, they're adult in a lot of ways at 16. I mean, you can get married in Scotland at 16 without the consent of your parents and all this sort of thing, which you can't do elsewhere. And um, it gets complicated where the ages clash in that sort of way. But we've done much the same sort of thing, to be truthful. Ultimately, you have to treat under-18s diff differently. And that, that's one of the things that I, I said to them. We have to treat them differently because effectively we are their carers. You know, as soon as they are working with you and they're under the age of 18, they're a child. And if they're in your care, you are their carer. Now, if you are their carer and you're quite happy to be their carer, that's fine until you go to the toilet. Who's their carer while you're in the toilet? Um, someone else who's there who might not be happy to be their carer. And you've instantly put obligations on almost everybody in your organisation as soon as you take on someone who's under 18 because by hook or by crook sooner or later they will officially be the carer and if that's the moment the child puts his head in the microwave or whatever uh, then that's the moment that, that, that things go horrible. So I've asked him about that as well and he's having a look at that but he feels that uh, it won't be an issue and that um, ultimately because you have different obligations to them because of their age the age discrimination factor won't won't affect it. Well, hopefully, as I say, we won't be sitting having this conversation in six in six months' time. Uh, hopefully, it'll be resolved by then. But uh, even I suspect, even the solicitor, by the length of time he's taken to do this and the type of note he's sent me, he's finding it as complex as everybody else. Um, and certainly, the staff in his office are are really struggling to find definitive advice. This came about after we'd approached all the voluntary services organisations and asked for their advice. And what you'll find if you approach your local voluntary service organisation is they'll say, we should encourage everyone, the younger the better, to volunteer. And then you say, yes, but how do you do it legally? Well, well we don't know that. And yes, it's great advice to say that young people should be encouraged to volunteer, but unfortunately we've got obligations we have to take care of. The next point then was... Uh, Really, I suppose, perhaps brought up by the, the PPL situation, or not the PPL situation, the patient line situation, where they changed 
numbers and uh, on the headsets and where you could find your radio station and what have you. And it became very obvious very quickly that an awful lot of stations were becoming very dependent, I think, on uh, organisations that were without, out with their control, whether that be any of the patient power organisations, and that were they to, to fold or to stop working or to stop uh, doing what they do, that perhaps stations would be in a lot of trouble. So the question was, what would you do if your bedside entertainment system provider pulled out of your hospital? Uh, in order to get out of this very quickly, I'm going to hand it to June, <laughs> who's probably been sitting there going, I know what's going to happen now. I mean, it, it is an interesting question, and um, I don't suppose there's anyone who's got a real answer to this. Um, the first problem is that, of course, the system is introduced into the hospital subject to a contract that the hospital have themselves signed with that supplier. Um, so the first port of call, I guess, is your hospital. Um, but I would certainly be interested in all of your thoughts, and perhaps also Jeff, who, on the technical side, there are many, many other issues, Jeff. Wouldn't you agree? Um, <laughs> yes, he says. I, at the end of the day, I mean, the short, there is no short answer. If you had a situation that required um, me to get in touch with one of the suppliers, I would do my level best to do it, along with Jeff, as we have or try to have regular meetings, as you're all aware. Unfortunately, these regular meetings are not as regular as we would like, simply because um, of the uh, people involved who we find difficult sometimes to get hold of or to arrange meetings with, or in fact, when we do so, uh, from time to time they get cancelled. So we're obviously not their number one priority when it comes to meetings. Um, but thoughts, please, Jeff. Um, well, no, I can only say much the same thing. I think the... The companies are having a difficult time at the moment. Um, and I don't. I think the main ones, which is Patient Line and the second biggest one, which is Premier, um, are. Uh, I don't think they're actually making a profit at the moment in any of their hospitals. But if um, if they do manage to turn things around and they make a profit in some of their hospitals, then you have to wonder what they will do in the hospitals where they're not making a profit. Uh, because they all have a clause in their contract, I would imagine in, they all have a clause in their contract, to say that they can pull out of a hospital. So even if, uh, in, I think it's a rather unlikely event that they're going to go into liquidation in the foreseeable future because it uh, wouldn't benefit their creditors at all because they wouldn't get much money back out of it to go into liquidation. But in the event that they do pull out of a few hospitals because they're less profitable than others, so you have to wonder what you'll do to broadcast your patients if that's your only method of broadcasting and it's maybe something you want to ask your estates department about there are one or two estates departments at least that have this in mind and have contingency plans or are developing them so you might want to ask that question it's a bit off from that subject picking up from the last meeting um we objected at Radio Cavell because we suddenly got branded hospital radio on the bedhead units and we go around, you know, and we tell people to listen to Radio Cavell and sometimes they're confused and we have to say it's the hospital radio. Um, did you get any answer or response to, you know, why stations can't have their individual names on there? Unfortunately, that, that the, the, the answer they gave was purely that it was for their purposes of producing um, information that they wish to call it hospital radio. 
Um, they didn't see a problem with that, much as we tried desperately to get them to understand that each hospital radio has its identity. Um, but, but sorry, no, we haven't. The, the only response from patient line was that it's the default, that hospital radio is the default station. And, and therefore, when anybody turns on their radio, so you, the first station you come to is hospital radio. And as a result of that, I think many of you will find your statistics um, will show uh, they have increased uh, broadcasting hours. I remember you saying, uh, sorry, Ian, hospital radio. I remember you saying that at the last meeting about it being the default channel. Um, as a ward visitor, I'm confident that is not always the case. No, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. We are at their mercy at the end of the day, unfortunately. However much we try and pursue these things, I regret to say I would love to do an awful lot more, but unfortunately we can only do so much. They are the... 99% certain that okay. some sort, they come on on whatever channel yeah. they yeah. Right. Because having registered a patient for the first time and asked the patient, it hasn't come up with us even though we are channel number one. Well, all I can, pr all I can promise to do is to um, next time I yeah. speak to them, and yet again they've changed our contact. Um, next time I speak to this new contact and start yeah. from scratch again. Um, saying, can you educate them? I'd love to. <laughs> I, I arranged a meeting at one of the hospital radio stations for their new... Um, representative which got cancelled and cancelled and I'm still trying to pursue it so um, yes I'll certainly take that forward any other questions I mean do do email either Jeff or myself if you've got any um, questions on these uh, issues because we will take them to our meetings and, and we can only do our best and get the answers and let you let you know the outcome Go on. The question was, any response on the interface box? Because the, the box they provide, patient line this is, not the other companies, the box they provide as the interface between our systems and theirs is a very poor performance. And um, it's like turning your base control down minimum and then as much again. Um, we, we, I raised the issue and my intention was to try and make proposals to, to what could be put in its place. But since then we lost our contact and I think... Basically, we've lost the, the thread of the conversation because our new one won't have any, won't know anything about it anyway. Right, no one with any more questions on sort of patient power issues. Okay, well, the next um, item on the agenda is question and answer session. Oh. First question, who are you? <laughs> Dave McGeeley, Radio Cabell. Two very quick things here. First of all, I, as you, if you read the minutes right at the end, it talked about Billy Bug and the mini soap that we produced with our primary care trust and the sort of infection control people. Uh, mini soap opera, four episodes, about a minute long each. We play them during the course of one hour, uh, about twice a week, and that goes out and it just runs on. That's the tale of Billy Bug, supplemented by now uh, an additional infomercial stroke advert of Billy Bug that's freestanding. If you'd like a copy of the CD, they'll be at the front. I've brought 50 with us. Please take them. Please use them. Please let us know what you think of them. Um, unless you're too rude, in which case we just don't want to know. Uh, that's the first thing. Secondly, and this is a personal plea really, um, the last time we had a change of treasurer, 
Um, for some reason, I can't possibly figure out, I was baptised later that evening with a pint of water and lemon, I think. <laughs> by, by the said former treasurer, and I'd just like to make a plea to our current former treasurer that it, it doesn't become some sort of initiation ceremony that will carry on. I had no idea why it happened last time, and I would have even less idea why it happened this time. And last time I managed to restrain myself under great duress. This time, I promise I won't. <laughs> <laughs> if you yeah. understand the accounts. I'm currently sitting at 17 persons wishing to do the baptism. <laughs> Any advance in 18? Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else with uh, any questions, comments, statements? I think, uh, Phil, you had uh, a little announcement regarding conferences, didn't you? Yes, thanks, Chairman. Um, as you know, I'm Chairman of the Events Committee, subcommittee now, and um, you will uh, certainly be aware that the, the, uh, the awards weekend in, is going to be in Northampton. In fact, the booking forms are in your packs. Book now, as they say, to avoid disappointment. But the uh, announcement I have to make now said he, crossing fingers and touching wood, if this is wood, um, is that uh, we are in the very late stages of agreeing the venue for next year. Subject to contract, we aim to take con um, conference in autumn next year to the Principality of Wales. We're going to Newport, South Wales, and we're going to a, I think, I don't know if it's the first time we've been to a four-star, but we're going to the Hilton in Newport. And all being well, that being signed in the next week or so, that's where we'll be going. So I look forward to that. I, I, while I've got hold of this microphone, can I just say that um, as a new boy, I'm learning, and I've done a few different things this time. Uh, I'm quite convinced that I won't do everything right, and I'm sure you won't be backward in telling me so. Um, but I do intend to try and make this uh, weekend more attractive. We've got more people here than last year. I do want you, if you've uh, enjoyed the weekend, to go home to your stations and tell them so in no uncertain terms. Uh, and if you haven't enjoyed it, I want to talk to you privately and you can tell me exactly why. Thank you very much. Thanks. Um, and of course, at uh, Northampton, there will be awards, so it would be remiss of me not to allow Dave to tell you about the uh, closing date and all that sort of thing. Sunday, no, Saturday the 16th of December is a cut-off date, and I'm afraid that once that day has gone past, they will not accept any more awards. Uh, all the details are in the last edition of On Air. They're on, uh, on the website. And remember, we have changed the dates that you can actually enter between anything broadcast between the 1st of December 2005 up to the 30th of November this year, but you can't put anything in that you put in last year, and we shall be checking. Okay. Okay, thanks very much, Dave. Has anyone else got any other issues they want to bring up, comments, thoughts? No? In that case, uh, thank you all very much for coming along. Thanks for having enough of you here to make a quorum first try. And uh, thanks for all your support over the last uh, couple of years. And I hope that you've passed the same support on to Paul, who I'm sure uh, will, uh, will do very well indeed. Um, have a good evening this evening. Um, there's uh, an after-dinner speaker who I'm assured will be uh, very good indeed. So I'm looking forward to that and to the meal. So thank you very much indeed. And the meeting is now closed. Thank you.
You've been listening to the On Air Podcast. Check out the show notes and any scripts needed by visiting the website at onairpodcast.co.uk. You can email the show with comments, audio, or items for the next edition via onairpodcast at gmail.com. The show's imaging is supplied by DivaWeb, online at divaweb.co.uk.